Father God, we thank you uh, that you are a God who has made yourself known to your uh, rebellious fallen creatures um, uh, to us. And we thank you that we have your word, the scriptures that reveal uh, yourself uh, most fully, of course, in the person of Jesus. Uh, we thank you for making yourself known to us and your great, incredible plan uh, of redemption, of salvation uh, for us and uh, renewal of the entire universe. We uh, praise you for your incredible plan. We uh, pray that you would speak to us through your word today, uh, really change us too by it uh, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm reading from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nan, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. It's great to be with you this morning. If you look up this story in, uh, well, in, in the Bibles you have here in front of you, but pretty much in any Bible as well, uh, you'll, you'll find these headings. That's standard, these kind of topic headings. And the heading in these Bibles that you have, and in pretty much any standard Bible as well, says, Jesus raises a widow's son. That's what it says, Jesus raises a widow's son. But if you're someone from the time of Jesus, I'm not sure that you'd use that heading because there's actually more going on here. I want to suggest this morning that there are actually three resurrections taking place in this story. It's not something immediately obvious to us. See, sickness and healing look a bit different depending on what culture you are in, your cultural context. Here in Australia, if you think about uh, healthcare and our medical system, it's, it's really focused on your physical symptoms as an individual person. What's going on with your individual body physically? What are the physical symptoms? That's, what, uh, that, 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 that's how our medical system treats this. That's how we tend to think about this. But at other times and places, uh, if you're sick, your sickness isn't just yours. And it's also not just a physical thing. Illness is something social, something that cuts you off from other people. Because it doesn't just affect you, it affects others around you as well. Anyone who's been a carer for Someone with chronic illness knows that. If uh, you have someone or, or, or people in your family struggling with mental illness, you know that it's not just that person who struggles. And of course, death is the great thief. It robs not only a person of their life, but it robs a family and a community of their loved one. 
So your body can't be isolated from the community that you belong to. And that tells us something about death and illness in the world of the Bible. It's more of a social thing than a physical thing or an individual thing. Illness and death is what pushes someone to the edge of their community. So what I hope we can bring out this morning is more of that communal dimension. By looking at sickness and healing in the way that ancient Palestinians did, we can get a bit more insight into what Jesus is doing here. God wants to heal people. But God is not only interested in healing individuals. So let's take a look at how this plays out in this story of Jesus. Keep your Bible open as we, as we work through this story together. Uh, and let's pick it up from verse 11 in chapter 7 of Luke. It says, Soon afterward Jesus went to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. This woman has no one left now. Her husband is gone, and now her son too. Her son, much younger and fitter than her. He was meant to be her social security. He was her only son. She has nothing. By Hebrew law, she cannot inherit anything. Perhaps she can return to her father's family, but there there is only a sense of hopelessness and loss. She has no future. He was her only son. It says that a large crowd from the town was with her. Think about it. This is probably, this is at least the second funeral for her family. The families in this community have probably lived together all their lives. They all probably know each other. They all know her. I imagine that they are all grieving with her. But that doesn't really do much for her future. She might have their grief, but does she have their hospitality? There are no guarantees of that. She can hope for their generosity but I imagine she's also worried about being a burden on the community. So as a widow, her life is in danger, not only because she has no one to provide for her, but because she's now on the edge of her community. He was her only son. The reality is that things are bad for her. She has no one left. Her life will go on, but it's not much of a life now. Her future is empty. And before long, she will follow her son and her husband. And this town and its families will continue their lives without her. And her memory will be forgotten. Her life, too, will be shrouded and carried off. He was her only son. But verse 13, when the Lord saw her, His heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Jesus' compassion is understandable and beautiful. But then he does something bizarre. 
and inappropriate. It says, he went up and he touched the beer or the, or the pallet they're carrying the body on. And the bearers stood still. Everything grinds to a halt. Jesus has deliberately made contact with a corpse with apparently no regard for the purity system. And then he talks to the corpse. He says, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sits up and begins to talk. It's amazing. The son is healed. But now something I think even more beautiful happens. Because who needs healing here? Verse 15. Jesus gave him back to his mother. He was her only son. He was gone. She too was as good as gone. But Jesus gave him back to his mother. As her son is returned to her, she is raised. She is saved from social death. She is restored to her community. Her relationships are healed. Her future is reborn. Jesus gave him back to his mother. A man is brought back from the dead and with him a mother, a family, a future. Hers is the healing. Hers is the new life. The son is healed. The woman is healed. But wait just a moment because in ancient Palestine, a healing doesn't count for much unless the community accepts it. So verse 16, they were all filled with awe and praised God. So this is important. By attributing this healing to God, the community is accepting the son back and with him, his mother, the widow. Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. The healing is complete. The son is healed. The community is that the woman is healed, and so too is the community. Do you see that there are three sides to the healing here? The son is healed, the woman is healed, and the community is healed. You might say it's three resurrections for the price of one. It's a bigger definition, I think, of healing than we're used to. But then something else happens. There's one more thing in the story here. Where does this healing come from? Look at verse 16. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. God has come to help his people. This is the news about Jesus that was spreading. Not only has a great prophet appeared, but also God has come to help his people. What are they talking about? See, this isn't just about an impressive person showing up, a man of power. This is about the deep history of these people bubbling up and boiling over in the present day. In the Exodus, God saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And in that experience, God revealed himself as the saviour of the small people. 
When they were foreigners, that was when God saved them. That was when God, them, God made them his people. And so when in chapter 22 of Exodus, God calls them to look out for foreigners and widows, it's not just a moral command. It's about being like God. This is the backstory of the people of Nain. And now on this day, as a man and his mother come to life again, there is a particular story that spreads about Jesus. A great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. Do you see, this isn't just God showing up. This is the defender of widows, defending widows. It is that God, the liberator of the Exodus, who has come to help his people. See, God is interested in healing relationships, in healing communities, in social healing. God is on the side of the marginalised. God wants to bring wholeness there. God wants to bring people back into family and friendship and togetherness. This is the God, of course, who is making all things new, the God who is healing creation. A friend of ours in Tanzania is Pastor John. He's an Anglican pastor in the southern highlands of Tanzania. And along with his Sunday duties, he runs a community group. And they have a a formal part of this on the weekends. It looks like a traditional Anglican service. But there's other things going on as well. During the week, uh, they are exploring the Bible together. They're praying for healing. And Pastor John is helping the people work on their lives in pretty much any way that he can. And one thing he does is to get people rearing chickens. Because if you have chickens, you can sell the eggs. And if you've got eggs, then you can get more chickens, and you can sell the chickens and the eggs, and then you've got a livelihood. See, many of the people Pastor John works with are struggling to make ends meet. Some of the women are widows. Now, I can't tell you about any people being physically brought back from the dead in Pastor John's community. No sons have been raised. But the widows have been raised. And the community has been raised with them. See, as long as we see the story from Nain as only about the raising of the son... Healing remains just a narrow thing for us. But if we can see the two other healings going on here, we can begin to see what it might mean for us to be the people of the resurrection, the people who are right now embodying Jesus and serving as a living beacon to his power. Do you see how reading this cross-culturally is not just interesting, but it's actually vital to the meaning of the story. Tanzanian Christians have perhaps got a bit of a head start on us here, not because they're better at this, but because their cultural context is perhaps a bit closer to that of Jesus in ancient Palestine. But this isn't a point just about Tanzania or about campus ministry. I wonder how you see this playing out here in your community. 
Of the three healings, the resurrection of the man seems completely supernatural to us. It seems completely outside human power. So while we might pray for a miracle like that, it's, it's probably the thing that we have least control over. But the two other healings, the widow being given back her livelihood, the community having her restored to them, those are tangible, mundane things. Not things that we can do in our own power, certainly. But they're things that we are collectively being called to demonstrate. Things that are to be just part of the natural life of our community. Just as God has raised us, we raise widows. And we find ourselves continuing to be raised as those people are restored to us. So that's part of what we learn here. We know that illness is more than physical. Addiction, mental health, so-called lifestyle diseases, all those issues have a profound social dimension. But it's not just the sick who need healing and new life. All of us are in need of being restored to one another. So how might we address illness in, in this social sense? as a community of Jesus. Well, if someone is physically sick, you take them to the doctor, you take them to hospital, you get them into the medical system, you get them access to healthcare. That's one level of healing, certainly. But in doing so, there's something else going on as well. You're saying to them, I'm with you, I'm here for you, you're not alone. You're expressing solidarity, that's, that's love. That's what being a neighbour looks like. But even then, we're still only talking at an individual level. See, when you think about a whole community doing that all together, you're saying to sick people, you belong here. You have a place, a people, a family. And above all, you have a father. That's what we as Christians are doing in our communities. We're pointing people to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father who looks at you as a whole person, every part of you, not just physically, but personally, socially. Our Father sees how you fit together in yourself, in your community, in the world. And that's how outsiders and onlookers become aware of the Father's love, just as our Father cares for you at every level, so his people care for others. But to finish off, how might we give witness to the power of the resurrection? Is it through a physical resurrection of a person's material body being brought from death to life? Now, that is the power that we say has already worked in Jesus. He died, he was buried, he descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. But he who was raised from the dead includes us in himself. He is building us into his resurrection people. So we are the community where someone poor doesn't just get some food in their belly, but gets new mates, Children of the one Father. 
where someone new to the neighbourhood doesn't just get a friendly hello, but new neighbours to share life with in the presence of Christ. Where someone struggling doesn't just get some sympathy, but new supports who are there for the long haul, who point to the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Where someone who is lost is found by God because they've been welcomed in by the people of God. In the Roman Empire, in the days of the early Christian church, the Christians were known for giving food to the poor, for picking abandoned babies out of the sewers, and for helping widows. One of the early stories from the church is that a team of spiritually gifted leaders was set apart for that purpose, welcoming widows. You can find that story in chapter 6 of the book of Acts. That kind of thing ought to be a no-brainer for us as Christians. As Jesus raised this widow's son, and in doing so raised the widow and restored her to her community. So Christians since the earliest times have seen care of others as integral to our witness. That's what we are part of as the people of Jesus. Why? Not because we are somehow especially kind, but because we have a resurrection power at work in us. Because we know the one who is resurrected and the one who resurrects. We serve him and he makes our communities whole. Let's pray for that now. Let's pray together. Jesus, your heart went out to her. You gave life to her as no one else could. Thank you for the resurrection life you have given to us. Jesus, would you give us your heart for widows? Holy Spirit, come and give us power to give life to others in the name of Jesus. Would you build us into that community that is bringing his life into our midst? We pray in his name. Amen.